The sermon this morning is centered around verse 6 of this chapter, Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, also you, boys and girls, you belong to the Lord. When I was 12 years old, I met John Diefenbaker, who was the Prime Minister of Canada at the time, shook his hand in front of the library. He said something, I, I was so excited about it, I didn't hear what he said, but I'm sure it was a nice thing. I was in awe to be in the presence of such a famous person at the time, an important man. And the first thing when I got home, I slammed the door open and said, I shook the prime minister's hand. I was so excited about that. Well, imagine how Isaiah must have felt at the time of our text when he saw God, the almighty God who rules over heaven and earth, came into his presence. What an awesome vision that must have been for the prophet. In fact, he was so overcome with awe for God's glory and majesty, he thought he was going to die. Imagine if you or I got to meet God like that. I think we'd think we were going to die too as sinful people in the presence of the holy and glorious God of heaven and earth. But as it says in this chapter, Isaiah didn't die. He lived. And he was even appointed by God to office as the Lord's prophet in Israel. How was that possible? Well, because God of incredible glory and majesty is a God of mercy and grace. He touched Isaiah's lips with a coal from the altar. I proclaim to you God's word in the text this morning about Isaiah's appointment by God, by the living God, the holy God, the merciful God. First of all, the living God. The prophet Isaiah congregation lived approximately between the years seven 50 and 700 before Christ. During the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, Isaiah lived in Jerusalem at the time. And during the reign of those kings, Judah as nation, and in particular, the city of Jerusalem slid farther 
and farther away from the Lord God. We read about that in chapter 1. The Lord, their covenant God, was very upset with his people. They slid into idolatry and immorality, the immorality that goes along with that. And in spite of the fact that they were still doing all the worship at the temple and everything was going on, the Lord was very angry and sick of it. We know that King Hezekiah, the last king mentioned in that list in chapter 1, he tried to bring reformation, but it was not a real return to the Lord from the heart. And the Lord, in his great mercy, wanted to warn his people in Isaiah's time yet. And he sent them various prophets to warn them, but also to remind them of the hope that he had promised in sending the Messiah to proclaim the hope for that remnant in Judah who still loved God and clung to his promises during that time of defamation and doom. God, from his side, God was going to remain faithful to what he had promised. And he would cause the great king to spring from Judah. It would be, become a stump that whole nation, but there would be a holy seed in that stump. It would come up again. And that's how the Lord God came to show himself in a special way to Isaiah. And in this amazing vision, Isaiah saw God above the temple on a throne. It doesn't describe exactly what he saw except the robe of the Lord. Uh, he, he must have been near the temple at the time. He could look into the temple, into the temple. The doors were most likely shut, and that great thick curtain blocked any view of the Holy of Holies. God, you know, lived in the darkness of the Holy of Holies above the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That part of the temple was normally closed off, and, and it was filled with smoke from the, from the incense altar. And we know from the book of Exodus that there were angels, cherubim, above the ark with their wings spread out. And the walls were, were covered of the Holy of Holies and the holy place in the temple. They were covered with carvings of angels, cherubim. We don't know what they looked like, but they, they were carved into the walls and covered with gold. However, Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, he he could look right into the temple and into the Holy of Holies. So he could look right through everything. And he saw the Lord sitting on that throne high and lifted up in that Holy of Holies. Nobody was ever allowed to look in there, in that part of the temple, only the high priest. And then only once a year on the great day of atonement to sprinkle blood on top of the mercy seat and before the ark. But now Isaiah could look in there and he saw God there on his throne wearing that robe which flowed down and filled the holy of holies and the holy place in the temple. And above him Isaiah saw seraphim, heavenly beings, majestic angels. The word seraph in Hebrew means fire 
They were mighty, fiery beings, brighter than the sun. And he heard them calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And their voices, the voices of those seraphim were so mighty that the whole temple mount shook. The thresholds of the temple shook. And the glory of God was so intense, so awesome, that those seraphim covered their faces with their wings in God's presence too, even those heavenly beings. Isaiah saw this, and then he realized he was looking at the majesty of God's glory, he saw the incredible greatness of the living God. He always, he always believed in God's existence, but now he experienced the enormity of God's presence. God, uh, God was not a theological idea or concept for Isaiah at that moment anymore. No, what Isaiah saw and felt and experienced was the glory of the living God. You can read, think, or talk about God, but in all that, he remains subject to your human way of thinking. Who you Imagine him to be in your mind. And the danger is then that you can end up making God in your image. That you envisage him as you want him to be. You see him as the man upstairs. As so many call him today. And then you may acknowledge his existence, but he remains remote from you, far away. He remains a concept, an idea. And the result is then that you can fit him into your life rather than fit your life to him. You see him as your spare wheel rather than the steering wheel of your life. Congregation, we need to see God through Isaiah's eyes in the text as the living God. The living God, the majestic, gracious God of the covenant, enthroned above the ark, above the cherubim, which represents his redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is glorious in his being, majestic in all he does. And if you see him like that, he's no longer just a doctrine, a concept, but he is the living God who has claimed you redeemed you, who you serve with your life, and you're here to worship and offer praises to and to give thank offerings to today. Congregation, is that the God you have a relationship with, a real relationship with, this living God? A relationship through Jesus Christ? Do you revere him as the living God? Do you really listen to him, to his word? Take that in as the, the direction for your life? Do you speak to him in prayer? Submit to him, to his will in your life and work and activities. Maybe, maybe you wish, well, 
I wish I could see him like Isaiah did. Then it'd be more, more real to me. If only I had this vision like Isaiah did. <clears throat> then I'd know he's the living God and I'd be able to serve him more for real. But listen to what those seraphim call out to each other in that vision. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth full of his glory. Congregation, the glory of God can be seen everywhere around us on this earth. If you look around you at the change of seasons, at the trees beginning to bud and the green starting to push out of the ground at this time of the year in the spring sun, as the earth warms, that's his doing. Psalm 104, his spirit causes that new life to come out of the trees and the ground. Sure, the, the movement of the earth around the sun and so on, that all causes the seasons to change. But it is God who established and upholds that change of seasons by his hand. He's behind it. Or look up at the sky, especially the night sky above the prairies here. You see the broad expanse of sky here. Millions of stars. The sun and the earth and the other planets around it are part of the Milky Way galaxy, which is 3,000 light years wide and contains 300 million other stars, this galaxy. Our earth is just a tiny speck of dust in this one galaxy in the universe. Our galaxy, you know, is just a small group of stars within the wide expanse of the whole universe. Think about it. You see the glory of God in those things. That's how great and majestic and also how real and living our God is. He upholds it all. Made it, upholds it. This is your God, congregation. The living God who also calls you to office, brothers. We come to the second part of the sermon. Isaiah's appointment by the holy God. Congregation, Isaiah heard those seraphim call out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Why did they repeat that three times, the word holy? In the Hebrew language, repeating a word emphasized its meaning, strengthened it. Each time it was repeated. When I lived in South Africa, I noticed something similar. If you wanted to say that you wanted something done immediately without any delay at all, you said, do it now, now. You repeated. You also see that emphasis in the Hebrew language, for instance, when the inner part of the temple where the Ark of God stood was called the Holy of Holies. Just basically, holy, holy place. And then you had the other place was called the holy place. The seraphim called the Lord God holy, 
holy, holy. The ultimate holy. The super. God is the super holy one. And holy, you know, means set apart from all others. Unique. The God of the covenant is above all others and everyone else. And everything else. Extra unique. Incomparable. Way above any other power or so-called God. He's absolutely perfect in justice, mercy, love, faithfulness, in everything. He is perfect. The epitome of perfection. And notice, congregation, that the seraphim called that out to one another. That holy, holy, holy. That means that when they were calling it out to one another, they were in complete agreement about it. Like when people hear beautiful music or look at a beautiful view and they say to one another, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Really, really beautiful. That's how the seraphim agreed about God's holiness, his supremacy above all other beings. His holiness. And notice Isaiah's reaction to all this. As he heard this, he became smaller and sm smaller when he heard how utterly holy the living God is. Woe is me, for I am lost, he says. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the presence of this holy, perfect God, Isaiah realized how small and also how sinful he and the people really were. Against the background of the Lord God's perfect holiness, Isaiah's sins and sinfulness stood out clearly. And he could see that. He realized how unworthy he was to be before this holy God. How utterly condemnable worthy of death. Even for the words he spoke. How could he be prophet? How could he ever be a prophet then? But what happens? One of the seraphim took a pair of tongs and flew to Isaiah with a glowing coal from the altar. And he touched Isaiah's lips with that glowing coal. The lips with which Isaiah had just confessed his uncleanness in God's presence. And that hot coal didn't singe and burn his lips and cause pain, but it purified his lips. How could that be? Because it was a glowing coal from the great altar in the temple, the altar of burnt offering on which lambs were sacrificed and consumed by fire, the fire of God's wrath against the sins of the people. Also, Isaiah's sins. For that altar pointed to the Savior Jesus Christ there in the temple too. To when centuries later, he would bring the ultimate once for all sacrifice for the sins of all his own on the cross. God's wrath would burn out on him for all his own. At his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus cried out, it is finished. 
And what happened then was that that curtain of the temple tore from top to bottom so that everybody could look right into the Holy of Holies then too, as Isaiah did at this time. And the earth shook and the rocks split. And then the temple also shook on its foundations. And that shaking at the Lord's death signified that God was doing great things. At Jesus' death, it signified that God's wrath had completely been poured out on Jesus and satisfied in him. In Isaiah's day, it meant that God was going to bring his wrath to bear against the sins and the unrepentance of Judah and Jerusalem. And he wanted to send Isaiah to proclaim that to them at that time. But first, he also showed Isaiah his mercy with that coal on his lips. Yes, his holiness, God's holiness means destruction for sinners. But for those who acknowledge their sins and sinfulness and hope in his salvation, that it means life. And that means that it's of utmost importance that we as covenant people heed the word of God, which God's servants bring to us all in their duty in office on behalf of the Lord. When elders come for home visits or deacons make their visits, they're not just Darren, Brian, or Alan. They're servants appointed by the holy God to bring and apply his word so that it works salvation and hopefully not, but also can, condemnation. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon this morning, Isaiah's appointment by the merciful God. Isaiah, beloved, heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send? He had, have, he had seen the greatness and the holiness and the mercy of God. And then he, want, he understood God wants to send him to Judah with his word at that time. That's why his lips had been purified with that coal from the altar. So he said, here I am, send me. He stood there in the presence of this almighty God. Send me, he said. God appoints men to bring his word. Later on, via his son, God would appoint and send apostles. Peter, Paul, John, others. And once those apostles were there and they would pass on too, but they would send others out with the gospel in hand. Elders, deacons, also ministers. And elders and deacons, who knows what you might have to deal with when you go out in your respective offices with the word of God in hand. You're not perfect. But the God who appoints you and sends you out to your tasks is the holy, perfect, living God. If you know and depend on his majesty and might and in his perfection, on his perfection and the cleansing power of his great mercy, you realize you'll be able to do the work he gives you to do. Even as 
men of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Because the one who sends you out is the God who created the earth with its seasons, all the stars of the heavens, who upholds the whole universe. And the God who sent, sends you out is the one who also sent his one and only son to this tiny planet in space to save it, to forgive and help and guide sinners who look to him. And if you know those things, if you accept them in your heart, believe them from the heart, then you can accept his appointment and you will be ready to bring his word to his people as Isaiah was. You can be servant of the Lord as elder or deacon. You see how that works out with Isaiah. He received a very difficult task. Very difficult task, Isaiah 6. The Lord God told him he would have to prophesy for a long time. And we know that was maybe 50 years. But most of the covenant people at that time would refuse to hear what he had to say. Their eyes and their ears, their hearts would be shut. And the more Isaiah talked, the more they would shut them off. But Isaiah had to keep proclaiming. He had to bring God's message to Judah and Jerusalem, even though he knew what the effect of that proclamation would be. That the overwhelming effect would be rejection. The more clearly Isaiah would bring that message, the more the people would continue to follow their own desires and bow to idols instead of serving the Lord, their covenant God, who had promised them eternal blessings in the Messiah. In fact, it would come to the point that God would say through Isaiah, okay, then I'm going to give you other, to, over to those other gods. You want them, you can have them, and I'll give you to them. And you'll be carried off to strange lands where those awful gods are worshipped. See, beloved, if people keep rejecting the word of God, the Lord God, then it's, when it's brought by those he sends out, it can come to the point that he gives them over to what their own desires are. In other words, God's word is in a consuming fire. If you submit to that word, then it's a purifying fire. But if you reject it, it will burn you up. The task of the Lord God, the task the Lord God appointed Isaiah to carry out wasn't going to be an easy task by any stretch of the imagination, but he accepted it. He said, here I am. You know, send, send me. Isaiah didn't accept that appointment because it would make people look up to him because he figured it would always give a positive result whenever he spoke that he'd be able to say, look what I did for the Lord. No, he accepted that task simply because he knew that God is the living and the holy and the merciful God. And he, that he wanted to serve this God and his kingdom. He had seen him. So the lesson for us here now is that he accepted that appointment from God. Because he knew him as the living and holy and merciful God. He wanted to serve his coming kingdom, the kingdom of the Holy Seed, who is the promised Redeemer. 
And that's how it is with the church today too. Via the congregation, the Lord appoints men to office to be as instruments in bringing and applying his word to the congregation as elders and as deacons. They will say yes to that appointment shortly. And that's not going to be an easy task that you've been appointed to, brothers. But you can trust that God, this living God, will stand by you when you bring and apply his word. He's the mighty, holy, living God. You see that in everything he created, in all that he does. Congregation, know that he is also the holy God who calls you to heed the word that these men are tasked to bring to you. And brothers and congregation, our God is also the merciful God. You know that from what happened on Golgotha especially. God gave his son. He gave himself up for his people and he rose triumphant as, as we remember this week. He ascended to God's right hand in glory. And now sits on that throne in the holy of holies in heaven. On that throne of grace. God already pointed him out to Isaiah when he spoke of the holy seed at the end of the chapter. He is there now. Even though Judah would be removed to exile, that stump of Jesse would remain, would grow, that seed would grow. And he has brought about a new beginning, a new covenant, and ultimately a new heaven and a new earth he will bring about. A world in which all God's people will see him face to face on his throne in all his glory with the Lamb and will serve him perfectly. Keep that end in mind, office bearers and congregation. Amen. Let's sing in response to the proclamation. Hymn 5, stanzas 1 to 4. <clears throat> 